Welcome back to We Watch, We Collect, a baseball podcast presented by Believe Podcast Network, episode number 40, 41. Yeah, I think it's 41. I'm joined here by a very special guest, a guest who I reached out to join the podcast, watching a YouTube video on a day in the life of his job. His job is the um, clubhouse assistant and the team bat boy for my favorite baseball team, the Boston Red Sox. I'm joined by Colin Jones. My favorite team, too. And uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I, 41 episodes is pretty good, I have to say. I, I, I don't know a lot of people that do podcasts, like my personal friends, so I can imagine that 41 episodes takes a lot of work. So glad you reached out to me, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Colin, for joining. Um, truly appreciate it. Um, I mean, for, uh, first off, I mean, I oh my gosh, dogs are making noise right now. Sorry about you got that. Dog? Yeah, <laughs> the two dogs. They're just barking away right now. Oh man, but um, yeah, thank you, thank you for joining, man. Like, obviously, uh, for one, like that video came out. Um, damn badass video by the way like everything that you did like everything that you talked about and the main reason i wanted to reach out is because this is my first season for being part of a clubhouse obviously in triple a and i was like for one he's like i'm doing what he's doing he's probably doing a lot more and he's with the boston red sox a big league team so i mean well i i I think i think the first thing i'll stop you at is doing a lot more because i think the, the reputation that the minor leagues have is actually, you know, doing a lot of things that you're not necessarily is in your job description all the time. So I, I wouldn't, I'd stop you there. I don't know if I work do more than you, but it's definitely a little bit different. Um, I would imagine I've never worked in the minor leagues as a, as a clubhouse attendant, but you work in the same type of environment. So to, to a certain degree, you get it. Yeah. And um, first question I have, I've always wondered this. I've heard like different, um, <clears throat> different, yes or no answers on this but you're the team bat boy do you travel with the team so i i traveled down uh for spring training uh for the three months or i guess it's more like two months all of february all of march uh so i travel with them for the entirety of spring training and i travel for postseason if we're lucky enough to make it like last year (laughs) so i was lucky enough to travel with the team uh down to tampa down to houston bat boy those games but we had all our clubbies travel for those. So in general, not in general, actually, as a whole, during the whole regular season, um, we only have our main clubhouse manager that travels with the team, uh, you know, 24-7 for the whole season. So, uh, so our, our six clubbies kind of stay back and only do, do the home games. And that one main guy goes, Tommy. Oh, okay. So then um, in, including yourself in the, in the Red Sox clubhouse, uh, not including your clubhouse manager. How many of you guys are there in there? There, there is let's see, Evan, Frank, Yada. There are. So we have. I think we have two managers. There's the main head guy, Tommy. Um, like I said, he's the only one that travels nonstop with the team. Um, and then we have another uh, manager uh, who is also my boss, kind of my direct boss, and uh, Josh. So he works with us, but again, kind of more of the manager managerial role. And so those two head guys, and then there's six of us below them, five of us below them. So seven as a whole, five clubby assistants, and then two managers. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that's such a big difference. It's for us, it's yeah. uh, our clubhouse manager, my boss, and then two of us in the home clubhouse. So it's yeah, obviously yeah. it's a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think uh, I think the visiting side at Fenway has the same amount too. It's generally you know five, four to six clubbies, and then you know two managers. Or I, I'm not quite sure how they run it over there, but at least for our side, we've got the two managers and five of us below. So. But uh, at least before I get into a lot of the questions, I know you pretty much kind of gave uh, a little bit of a background um, where you went to high school, how you obviously you're from there, diehard Red Sox fan. I mean, if you want to just go over again, give a quick little background on you and how you actually got yeah, into yeah. the position you're at. Yeah, so I, I'm 26 years old, so I'm pretty young and, and fairly recently out of college within the last four years. But uh like you were just saying i I grew up in boston um in a small suburb outside of the city but went to high school in the city kind of became a boston city kid i like to think i was born and raised there and spent a lot of time there and then when i went down to college and clemson it was a big kind of culture shock i mean a big different place baseball is huge down there but it's like college baseball right it's like not it's not huge on the mlb like boston is uh but they they are such diehard college baseball fans that that experience was so cool. Uh, and when I went down there, I was like, it kind of reinforced my ba- baseball background that I already had as a Red Sox fan, like you said. Um, and I was like, man, I, I reconfirmed my, my love of baseball. And then when I returned home my freshman year, my first summer, um, I knew the ushering supervisor, got an interview, became an usher and did that for the four years that I was a college student kind of coming back, living at home and just wanting to be involved with the Red Sox. And uh, it, when I was down at Clemson, got some uh, experience at the single A level with the Greenville Drive, which is our single A affiliate. Um, I interned in the front office uh, down at JetBlue Park, down in Fort Myers before I became a clubhouse assistant, just kind of getting some exposure with different people in the organization, meeting the right people, shaking the right hands. And then uh, there was an opening in the clubhouse in 2019, the year after we won the World Series, unfortunately, I missed it by a year. And uh, <laughs> I joined at the end of 2019. And then COVID happened. And uh, our, our bat boy, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Red Sox had the same bat boy for I don't want to I don't want to say the wrong number, but I'll just say it was 20 something years. Uh, yeah, so yeah, he had, he had done it. He had done it for a while. He was he, Chris, he had done an amazing job. He had, he had done it for so long way before I even uh, got there, obviously. Um, but he takes care of the umpires as well as part of his bat boy duties, or he did. And when COVID happened, they didn't want him going back and forth kind of with the whole cross-contamination thing, you know, visiting side, home side, umpires dealing with a lot of people. And so when COVID happened, I took over on the home side. He moved over to the visiting side, and then it kind of has stuck from there. And I've been the bat boy for the last three years. So, And, I mean, like, just quick, uh, just a question right after that. You've been in Bat Boy for three years. I was going to save this for actually probably like one of the last questions, but like for three years, so many, like, what is that? 80, 80, 80, like 200, over 200 games already. Mm-hmm. Do you have well, a favorite well, game? You got to remember that 2020 was the half year. So, yeah, yeah it so be I, over really, I mean, I worked the full year, but it was whatever it was, 40, 30 something games. Yeah, so it'd be about maybe about one like one eighty or somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, under, but do you have 
Do you have a favorite game or multiple favorite games that you've bad boyed for that you can remember? It's really hard not to immediately <clears throat> talk about last year when we clinched not only the wild card, the single game wild card against the Yankees at home at Fenway, um, but also clinched the ALDS at home against the Rays. Um, it's so hard not to talk about those two games because I've never, it's funny, like when I, when I first started as a bat boy, I really worked hard my first like two years to be professional and like not be excitable out on the field. I mean, it's, you can show emotion, but try not to be like, so, you know, try not to seem like you're a fan, you know, like you're, you're part of the, part of the team, you're working, you're, I'm doing my job. But those two, I, those two games, I remember it. It was the highest I've ever jumped. It was the fastest I've ever run. It was, it was just like probably the most intense feeling of jubilation that I've ever felt. And especially like the way they happened, I think both of them were walk-offs, if I remember correctly. I know the, the Tampa one was definitely a walk-off, and I think the New York one was too. Um, so walking off on a single game against the Yankees, it, it just it's, it doesn't really get much better than that at home. So it's probably the answer right the Yankees one, the Yankees one wasn't a walk off, but the two back to back games against Tampa were walk offs by Christian Vasquez and by Vasquez Kike. with the home run, home run, yeah, yeah. and then the Kike yeah, sacrifice, yeah, yeah. Sacrifice. yeah. <clears throat> yep, yeah, yeah. But oh man, right. I mean, that's it's like just like quick, like off. That's so weird to like think about how like I was here at home watching them yelling my butt off, and like, mm. and you were on the field celebrating like watching it there and i'm here watching it on tv like it's so crazy the reason why i and obviously the the reason why i say those games is like the gate the reasons i just gave but and i hope you get to experience at some point as a red sox fan and i I think it probably comes from the exposure i got as a kid but there is a different smell and there's a different feel like on the field at fenway park when it's october in a playoff game it just it smells different. It feels different. It, it sounds different. It's one of the most amazing things ever. And so it definitely is hard not to say that those games are the best games I've ever bad boyed. Hopefully, hopefully someday those will be uh, World Series games, not just wild card and ALDS. Yeah. I mean, like, because, I mean, like you, you, like you said it perfectly. Like, it feels different. Obviously, I haven't <clears throat> watched a game at Fenway, much less in the postseason. But, like, watching it on TV, it does feel different. Like, it. Like you, you can hear it like in the fans. I, I can feel it like in myself. Like this game is means a lot different. So like I can only and, imagine. And it's a smaller like, stadium. Like it's a smaller feeling. It's it's louder. It's like it's packed in, right? It's not like a big area. It's like forty thousand people are on top of each other and standing the whole time. It's just different. So um, branching off to obviously the wild card game. The Yankees are there. Like everybody heard it on TV, you know the Garrett chance, the the, like, the fact that we beat them. Like aside from that game, like when the Yankees are in town, what's the atmosphere like? Like not only between you and the clubhouse staff, but like just everyone that you walk by when the Yankees are coming into town, even in the clubhouse. Like, what are the players feeling? So. It's funny, we kind of briefly chatted before this a little bit about like the media, right? And like the difference uh, at minor league level, the major league level. But not only is there a difference between levels, but there's a difference between opponents. And I, I don't care if you had never seen a baseball game in your life, if you had never known who the Red Sox or the Yankees were, 
if you walked into the clubhouse, to the Red Sox clubhouse, on the day that, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates were in town, and you saw the media in there, which they are, they're kind of put in there. But when the Yankees are in town, it is like they're, everyone is in there, everyone wants to talk, everyone, you know, all the players are excitable, and the clubbies are excitable, and the fan, it's, it's definitely a different feeling, and I love it, and I, I love it when the fans embrace it in a good way, not when it becomes an issue, because... You know, it's fun when it's, it's a fun rivalry. It's supposed to be fun. It's sports. You know, it's not the end of the world in the end. So when when the fans, both on the Red Sox and the Yankee side, treat it as fun, then it's then it's really fun. Because I mean, like, of course, I I hope to go to a Red Sox Yankee game in Fenway because I've been to a Red Sox Yankee game in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I have I never not. Felt, I, I've never felt so out of place in my life. I mean, yeah, I. Yeah. Everybody looked at me like in the wrong way possible, and I I honestly never felt so out of place in my life. I felt I've never been not uncomfortable. I'm jealous of that. Like oh man, it. Of course, this wasn't when like this was last year when um, capacity wasn't full, but still, I was like, I don't feel good. I like like I like to think about it when it was like the heyday of the rivalry, like early to like mid two thousands. And just imagining the old Yankee Stadium, like being a Red Sox fan there, or vice versa, being a Yankee fan at Fenway Park. Like I remember going to those games as a kid, and just like, you know, the amount of times my parents had to cover my ears as a five-year-old because I was hearing stuff that I shouldn't be hearing. It's like <laughs> I, I can't imagine what it used to be like. Because nowadays, I mean, we've still got that rivalry; it will always be there, but it's not quite as heated right now as as it used to be, obviously. So, um, obviously, you're in the clubhouse. You got your clubhouse duties and stuff like that. And I'd say majority of the day you're around the players, right? Mm-hmm. So from the, from the first year that you started working there back in 2019 to now, um, what are some of like, no, not some, but like who are some of your favorite players that you've had to interact with so far? So, from past we, and so, now. so yeah. And I get, obviously people who are curious about that all the time because they want to know, what guys are like, you know, besides from what they see on the field when they're playing or when they're behind the camera answering a question kind of the way they think they're supposed to be answering. And so obviously I, I kind of get the benefit of getting to know these guys behind closed doors, getting to know who they are as people, as, as, as dads, as sons, like as family members, you know, whatever it is. And um, the benefit that I have is being 26 years old, we have a young team. So We've got guys that are like my age. It doesn't really matter where they're coming from, whether they're coming from Puerto Rico or the Dominican or Texas or, you know, Florida, whatever. Like being kind of similar in age definitely helps kind of form some deeper relationships, more kind of friendships with some of these guys. And um, so I guess kind of off the bat, I think of some of those guys like Doogie. Like Doogie's you know he's almost the same exact age as i am he's a big kid he's he's fun to be around and so like guys like that like rafi again big kid he's got a big personality he's a great player but behind closed doors he is a 25 i think he's 25 25 year old kid and uh, he comes from a different life than i do he comes from a different walk of life different culture and it's what i love is being in a clubhouse where you know i'm, I'm a kid from Brookline, Massachusetts, and Rafi's from the Dominican, but we're about the same age, and we formed a friendship. And so, 
that's the type of thing I love. And I have to say, the other thing that stands out to me when I think of guys that I've really enjoyed being around, it tends to be guys that are veterans. It tends to be guys that have been around. You think about guys like Max Scherzer, obviously not in our clubhouse, but this was a big story this past this past year when he had to do that huge rehab assignment. And he went down to whatever it was, whether it was single A, double A, I don't really remember, but he bought everyone in that clubhouse headphones or whatever it was, food, and they did all types of stuff because he gets it. He's a veteran and he understands the process, not only for players, but for clubbies and for coaches and for, and for trainers and for the cooks. Like it's guys like that, that understand that there's more that goes into nine innings than just, you know, playing baseball. Because ultimately, as you know, we're, we are there. Everyone that is not a player is there to make sure the players play their best. Like we are there for them. That, that's the only reason we're there. So it's the guys that understand we're there for them and respect that and kind of make a relationship out of it that I love. And again, it's it's guys that are veterans like Nate Evaldi. He's been around for so long. He's been in Tampa. He's been in New York. He's been on different teams. Like guys that have all that experience that understand how to how to interact with the entire organization. Like those are the guys that get it. Man, it's <laughs> it's just it, it still just blows my mind. Cause like you're talking about these players, obviously that I've seen on TV. And you're in the clubhouse with, so there's like obviously yeah, a little yeah. bit amount of jealousy. I'm like, damn. Well, you saw, so you saw, you saw the video, right? You watched the YouTube video. You saw the um, interaction I, I had with uh, Michael Walker when I was down. I did, when I was, yeah. And so, in terms of this past year, Michael, Walker, I mean, he is second to none in terms of just guys that you love having in your clubhouse as a player, as a as a coach. I told him how much we love having a guy like him as a puppy. Like he just makes our job easier because. He's a veteran. He's a nice person. He's a nice human being. And that it showed in that video because I think he was doing me a little bit of a favor because he knew I was mic'd up. He wanted to give me some good content. But at the same time, like he was telling a true story about how the night before I had kind of, you know, uh, met his mom unknowingly and, and had interactions with her. And that was really funny. And so we, we talked about our families. And it's just it's guys like that, like I said, that understand the how to have very obviously positive relationships with everyone. Yeah, because I mean, like. Obviously, people outside, I mean, probably can't really attest to this. Obviously, I'm not going to speak on it as much as I'm not going to act like, like, oh, I know what the if ends and what's about it. Because I've, I've only been with one season, AAA team. But, like, these guys are literally just, like, regular people. Like, they play mm-hmm. Fortnite. They play Call of Duty. They yeah, watch yeah. the same memes that we watch, like. They, they're there like they watch all these like little things and like a lot of people don't get that it's become a thing where again like being from boston all my friends closest friends and family like are you know around boston whatever and it's it's kind of become a, a situation like that where you don't you don't you don't mean to sound like you take it for granted but it has kind of become second nature to me given the nature of the job of like these are just people i deal with on a day-to-day basis as part of my job like that is that is who these guys are. Like they are just people at my job that I'm working to help. Like they are there to win, and I'm there to help them win. And they're there, they're there at my job. And they're athletes, of course, and and a lot of them are famous, and some of them are wealthy, and some of them are you know. But in the end, they are like I just said, their dads, their sons, their husbands, their their everything else. So it's 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 been that's my favorite part about it is getting to know that side of professional athletes that no one else gets the chance to kind of understand. So I wanted to um, 
ask a quick, <clears throat> ask a little question here about like what you're actually doing there in the clubhouse. Like I'm, I kind of have like an idea of what you do, but like my question is like how often during or before the season actually starts, do your guys's routine gets changed or do you guys already know how things get done? Like either during so, the game so, or like before and after. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting that like, besides the fact that I'm a bad boy, I am, I could not be more equal to the other five guys I work with. You know what I mean? And actually I, that, that video that the Red Sox productions team made was outstanding. I've given them all the props in the world um, because they did an amazing job on that video and really encapsulated a lot of what I do. But a lot of, there was a lot of the interview that wasn't included in the, in the final video. And that's where I talked about a lot of the other duties that we do in the clubhouse that no one sees in the video, no one sees on the field. The amount of fans I tell, like, during the game, like, this is not my job, really, technically my job. Like, my job is a clubhouse attendant. My job started 12 hours ago at 11 a.m. I've, I've already been here. You know, it's not just show up to the park at 6 o'clock and throw on a uniform and bat boy and then go home. And um, so I, I always like to I always like to disclose that because especially when, like, that YouTube video comes out, now I think it's up to, like, 200,000 views, which I'm pumped about. Yeah. Like, it, it's great. Oh. But I always love because I work with a lot of great guys and, and I always love to kind of point out that they do a lot of the same shit that I do. And there's stuff that we do like I get a text, you know, on a Friday night game just ended. Right. It's it's 11 p.m. I get a text from one of my boys. Hey, you know, come meet us at the bar. And I'm like, buddy, the game just ended 20 minutes ago. Like I, I still have three more hours. I, I have three more hours of work. Like my, my night's not over. Like in a way, my night's just beginning because. The game ends and we do all the other stuff that most people don't even think of doing, like cleaning spikes, you know, cleaning all the shoes, uh, doing all the laundry and, and and washing and folding all the towels. And we clean all the we don't have a cleaning service. So we we clean all the toilets like I, I clean all the toilets, we clean all the sinks, like everything that's in there. Like we're cleaning, vacuuming and mopping and doing all that. And um, what I find interesting to answer your question a little more is when we kind of all started working together we fell into some roles that weren't like specific to us. Like they weren't supposed to be our roles, but we kind of just, it, it worked. And we've kind of now adopted this, like, like when I, when we joined, like they were, it wasn't like they came to me and said, you're in charge of uh, organization, the batting cage and the dugout. But when I became a bat boy, it kind of just made sense that like that kind of became my area of focus that I did a lot of work down with the equipment down there. And while some of the other guys did some of the stuff up in the locker room, you know, and then vice versa. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how in detail you want me to go about some of the stuff we do. I can, I can tell you about like, like for a seven o'clock game, for example, like our, our typical start time is a seven Oh five first pitch. We generally get there between noon and one o'clock for, for a seven o'clock game. Yeah. Yeah. And then we generally get out, you know, two to three hours after the last pitch is thrown. So it, it ends up being 11 to 13 hours a day. So like um, I don't know if you'd be able to answer this, but like obviously during the game, the game's going on. Like I know what goes on like during the game, like inside the clubhouse. You know, mm -hmm. it's not really as much, not as busy, lack of a better term. But like yeah. Yeah. for games that are big league games, obviously go a lot faster. With us having the pitch clock, our games are a lot quicker. Um. But what are some of the things that um, guys in the clubhouse do that that are during the game? Like, are they like passing the game, time or, or yeah? 
So it, you've got a kind of a wide array. Like, so the other clubbies are, you know, handling the laundry that we put in right before the game starts, right? Like kind of guys are changing into their uniforms for the game to start. That creates a huge load of laundry. We throw that in right before the game starts. And then they have kind of a lot of, a lot of time to go back and hang the laundry loops and organize the lockers and kind of straighten things up for the guys to get back. Now that's on the clubby side. You've also got the chefs that are in there that are preparing the, you know, the post-game meal. They're kind of, you know, fixing up the snack area from the huge wave of people that just came in right for the pregame and fixing that up and, and getting the meal ready. That's the chefs. Then you've got the trainers. And I would say the trainers are probably the most active inside the locker room, inside the clubhouse during a game because you've got the guys that are still, you know, at the park, that, but, you know, guys that are on the IL or guys that are rehabbing or guys that are not actually taking part in the game. And that's a good time for them to get some work done, right? Like if, if the game's going on, because I don't know if you know this, but there's a, a set amount of uh, staff members that you can have in a dugout um, that aren't uniformed uh, members. So like people that aren't coaches, you know, a bat boy or players, you can only have a certain amount of, I forget what it is, two or three trainers, you know, whatever, whatever the other. So a lot of the trainers are still upstairs. And again, like I said, that's a perfect time for some of those guys to get work done because the other guys are out on the field playing, obviously. Um, and then in terms of players, it's there's definitely a little bit of back and forth. I don't know how it is at other parks, but the way that Fenway's built, it, it's pretty seamless um, uh, transportation. You know, a route between the clubhouse, the locker room, and the dugout. It's really easy to kind of you know leave the dugout, kind of go into the tunnel, go up the stairs, and get right back into the locker room, and you can do it in a minute. Um, so I don't know. There are probably places that that's hard to do, but at least for our guys, like, I don't know, you need, to, you need to run up and use the bathroom real quick or you need to go grab a Gatorade, like, guys will run up. You know, we have guys that are superstitious as hell. There are guys that for the first six innings, they go 0 for 2, 0 for 3, and they'll run upstairs and change their uh, pants to, you know, the high knee, you know, the, the short pants, or they'll change their spikes to a different color, just, you know, trying, trying to switch it up a little bit, trying to do whatever they can. So a lot of that goes on. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, because I've, I've – seen that happen a couple of times and it's so funny to me because obviously like people watching on tv is one thing but i'll bet you people in the stands pro will probably not notice that he's got a different pair of cleats on ever and there are definitely some that will but most will yeah yeah (laughs) yeah a lot of times you're not going to notice but yeah that that thing happened that happens all the time but it's interesting they they really you know in the last year or two with the whole new cba and all the negotiations that have gone on recently the MLB has really obviously clamped down a lot on, um, you know, video usage and ways that you can kind of, you know, watch, analyze during like in game. And so a lot of what used to be legal of like guys kind of like going back up and like seeing their thoughts or watching video, t- like a lot of that is cut out of the game. So a lot of the, a lot of the back and forth that goes on between the clubhouse and the dugout has been cut back a little bit with the um with the kind of aim of decreasing some of that in-game video usage um and it's kind of more become just like i said just more so of like run up change your cleats change your pants you know use the bathroom grab whatever so yeah so like uh just a random question now speaking on like some of the players that are there who is who is usually the first guy in the, in the clubhouse player wise oh that's a really good question trying to think if we had someone that was like consistently actually you know what's funny it it tends to be the youngest guys 
Oh shit. You know what I mean? So, like, uh, it, which kind of yeah. makes sense. Like, if you're if you're trying, like, you're a minor leaguer. Let's say you got called up, or like we had a guy like Jaron Duran who was kind of constantly up and down, up and down, up and down, kind of trying to establish himself or whatever. Then went back down and came back. Like guys, I'm not saying necessarily Jaron, but guys like that. We had we had obviously a lot, as you know, I'm sure we had a lot of guys, especially this year, a lot of minor leaguers that got big league action just because we had so much, so many injuries and so much stuff going on that we had lot of minor league uh, players that kind of came up into our clubhouse and I definitely noticed I don't know if I can pinpoint a certain guy but it, it absolutely 100% tended to be those younger guys that were trying to get you know whether it's extra swings you know because you know those guys those big guys that come in when they come in it's there's like a level of respect almost right it's like there's the veteran status like if the batting cage is busy like you tend to see some extra swings to the veteran guys that are looking for those for those extra swings and so if you're a young guy kind of getting in there a little bit earlier i it tends to i tend to see guys in there a little bit earlier that are you know trying to get that extra work that you know when the day kind of picks up they know that some of those other guys will be down there getting a lot of work so yeah because i mean like you speak on like the younger guys i feel like we get there early like i'm thinking like jaron duran i'm thinking like maybe Tanner Hawk, Bobby Dahlbeck, like maybe they might be yep. in there first. Yep. Tanner Hawk maybe n- not as much. Early, he's a pitcher. Um, yep. I know they probably yep. get there a little bit later, unless they got to throw a bullpen or if he's starting that game, what have you. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you you get early yeah you, you get early arrivers for a couple different reasons. One because like I just said, I think guys like to get extra work, but there are guys that get there early to hang out, which obviously we encourage. Like that's what you want. You want to have a relaxing clubhouse environment where guys want to go and hang out and shoot the shit or whatever. So guys will get there early and do whatever hobbies they do, play, you know, play whatever card games or dominoes or dice or whatever. Like, you know, there's, there's stuff going on in there. So there's definitely like, there's definitely guys that get there early, but our, our clubhouse manager, I mean, he gets there at, you know, 9 a.m. and opens up. If we're not getting there till 1 p.m., he's there at 9 a.m. And he's ready for guys to get there whenever they want to get there. Because in the end, you know, we're there for them. But as a clubhouse manager, I got to give him a lot of props. Like as much of a pain in the ass, as, as it is sometimes like he's got a he's got a family too he's got a life but he's, he does an amazing job of like you know a guy wants to get there at 10 a.m screw it like I'll, I'll be there to open up the clubhouse for you so yeah and and who is that the clubhouse manager if you could say and uh, yeah his name his name's uh, his name's tommy mclaughlin he's a he's a great clubhouse he is from what i hear from other kind of people in the industry and how people talk about him he's like one of the most organized clubhouse managers that people have kind of encountered, whether that's players talking about it or other staff members, he does an amazing job at kind of like, I can't really imagine being, you know, the only guy to constantly travel with the team and being the guy to be responsible for all the equipment. And obviously there's visiting clubbies that kind of take the reins once the team gets to wherever they're traveling, but you know, he's got so much responsibility on his shoulders and uh, he's been there for, 20 plus years again i don't want to say the wrong number so i'll just say 20 plus but he's been he's been in charge there for a long time and so he's been there for all four world series so whatever he's doing is working <laughs> yeah i mean that's so cool though man that's that's it, it, it's it, it just now like it just blows my mind it's like like damn like you <laughs> you're there around the players that i've watched on tv for years later part of my favorite team it's just it blows my mind it's so badass now, now imagine that, and then for me, being like I, I grew up as a ten-year-old, like going to this park, and now like this is where I'm driving every day to go to work, and it it 
is a really it's a humbling it's a humbling thing because and I, I actually I feel blessed that I'm from Boston and now get to work for the Red Sox because like I said it's humbling and it's part of why I treat fans the way I try to treat fans right like fans get on me a lot like fans fans are annoying to me like I'm a very like, easy a very target <laughs> sitting there with my big with my big double flap helmet and you know no number on the back of my jersey I'm an easy target for angry fans um, but I, I try to like on the days that things are going poorly or the team's playing poorly or I'm just tired I try to remind myself like look where you are because uh, you know a lot of people take it for, would take it for granted and I try not to because it's 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 pretty badass like you said that's the only way to say it so um, another quick little question you've been bat boy for the team obviously for home games do you yep. miss watching yep. them on TV play at home that is a really good question. It's it, it the, so I'll answer this in a roundabout way. Yes, I do to a certain degree. I am so it kind of feeds into a bigger answer of, and I don't know if you planned on asking it of like where I plan to go or what I plan to do, but I am diehard baseball, <laughs> right? Like diehard baseball through and through. I love baseball. As my as a as my job as a bat boy, I sit there. I have the closest seat in the house, and my job is to pay attention to the game. And I feel like my baseball IQ has skyrocketed. But at the same time, I think that you see things and you hear things and you learn things from watching on TV that you kind of miss when you're like part of it and part of the whole action. You're getting caught up in all the action. Um, when I was an usher, my family and my friends used to make fun of me because I would work the game, right? I'd be there for four hours and I would get home at midnight and I would heat up my dinner, whatever I was eating for dinner. And I would sit down and I would watch Socks and Two. You know, so are you familiar with Socks and Two, where they do like a two-hour yeah. recap of the game? And I would rewatch the game that I just that I just worked. And my, my dad would be like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, what, what? You literally were just there. Like, you have nothing better to watch. Like, throw on Netflix, or whatever." And but for me, it was like I'm working out in the bleachers. I'm not getting to see like the nuances of the game that I get to see now. Like, I'm not seeing like some of these like pitchers or how this guy's what this guy's doing or like, and I love that part of it is like, I like to see a guy's missing his spots high or a guy doesn't have a slider today. And obviously you see that during the game, like coaches tell if a guy has a slider or not easily. That's why they are coaches. But as a fan, like you like getting that experience of like seeing the strike zone on TV. Like how badly did that actually miss? How bad did that actually miss? Or how bad did the umpire miss the call? Like it's, it's, that's the type of thing that, that I feel like I would probably miss the most. Um, but honestly, I get enough of the viewing experience because I still watch every single away game. So when the team leaves, I watch every away game. So I feel like I get my fix in that way. And then um, now, that, now that you just started talking about it, the, you know, how bad a pitcher missed his spot or how bad an umpire called it. Has there been talk between, I would say mostly pitchers in the clubhouse about, the pitch clock coming in next year and possibly the automatic strike zone? Cause we have that in triple A right now. It's interesting. Like I, I overhear guys talking about the possibility of rule changes in the future, whether that's, you know, batters talking about it or pitchers talking about it. And obviously recently, as you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, about rule changes in the MLB, whether it's the use of the sticky stuff, spider attack with pitching or whether it's, like I just talked about a little bit, like hitter, be, hitters being able to use in-game like video 
um, you know, analytic, like guys can't do that anymore. So that's a, a disadvantage in a lot of ways. So I don't specifically hear what guys think about, like, I don't know, I don't know what certain pitchers think about, like the idea of the pitch clock. I know that it's a, I know that it's a heavy topic or I, I know it's a topic that's heavily talked about because I can tell when it's the topic of discussion, but a lot of times that discussion is going on amongst other players or players and coaches that I wouldn't really be a part of the conversation other than just kind of hearing that, oh, they're kind of discussing the possibility of it. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think they get, like we talked about a little bit with the Boston media, I think they get a lot of questions about it. Um, but I'm not really familiar enough with how they answer those questions. Um, I think that there's probably a little bit of mixed feelings. I know that there are guys that feel like you can't touch the sacred game because you're, you're starting to mess with baseball as it is. And I know that there are guys that, think that change is good and that trying to even the playing field as best as you can is important. And so there's, there's a whole, there's a whole laundry list of things and I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what happens. What do you, what do you think of the pitch clock and everything that they've changed down there? I haven't really seen much of how it's affected it. So. Uh, the pitch clock, obviously it's changed. It's makes the game a lot faster. It's been proven by yeah. numbers. Yeah. But I've had like well, this is it a minute? Is it, what's the what's the, what's the time? What's the it's it's um, uh, twenty seconds with runners not on, and then it's fifteen seconds when a runner is on. That's, oh, that's the, the two difference. And then when um when a major league guy is in here on rehab, he gets no pitch clock. So that's wow, the that's different really rules that they got. See now, I that's that that's interesting. I feel like that's tough though. Like that's a lot of different things to try to remember as like a, as like a yeah. player. <laughs> that's like how do you even. That's a lot to remember, try to remember, especially if you're there on a rehab assignment. Just I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of like this, but unless you're this, but unless you're there, then you know. Yeah. yeah, but me personally, like obviously, like there are some people that feel like, well, baseball is boring. Let's make the game go faster. Pitch clock cuts the game by twenty minutes or so. I have this thing where it's like a pitch clock can only do so much if. If a if a batter's gonna foul off fifteen pitches, that's a certain amount of time. You can't you can't stop that from happening, or you can't or you can't stop a how long a team's gonna score in an inning. Like you can't you can't stop any of that. You could just right. slow it down a little bit. But if a team's gonna score ten plus runs in an inning, it's happened before. There goes thirty five minutes of your so called cutting the game short. So, right, right. I don't know. I mean. So, so if you'll allow me, I'd like to give my two cents on the baseball is boring idea. So I think the way I think about it is the people that claim that baseball is boring are the people that, I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that the MLB doesn't need to change how they cater to different audiences, right? Like there's definitely some some evidence and some factual kind of findings that the the audience is, is not as large or ranging as it potentially could be. But I think I think the people that are saying that baseball is boring are the people that would find it more interesting if there was more music and lights and stuff at these games, right? Like you think about Tampa, people talk about Tampa in the Rogers Center for for Toronto. People talk about those two places about being loud, about being fun, and like the DJ, like what kind of music he plays, and like the light show, like that goes on in the seventh inning, like. To me, the people that are complaining that baseball is boring, those are that's probably more interesting to them. To me, if you're a baseball fan, you don't think baseball is boring because you appreciate the nuances of the game. Like you appreciate 
you appreciate the slowness and the the directness of like you know the chess match almost that that it is like it's a chess match like take as long as you want to try to figure out exactly how what you're going to do to this guy to throw one more pitch by his back like that to me is not boring to the people that it is like all right maybe we need to improve the uh fan interactive whatever like however you do it i mean you know? like for one, for one thing, like I, when I'm watching a baseball game, um, I, I, I favor pitchers more. Like I'm, I'm a pitcher guy. I like pitchers. So I'm always constantly thinking, like I was never a pitcher first off. So it's like, I don't know, but, but I have in my head where it's like, all right, it's not boring to me because if I know, let's say, for example, if I know Nate Evaldi's on the mound, I know what he has. I know how he pitches and I know this guy's up to plate. I'm like, I, oh, I hit hit him with this, this, and that, and you'll get him out. And if he doesn't, I'm like, hell yeah! Like, all right, I, yeah, I kind of, yeah. I, I feel good. It's like that's cool to me. Like, that's not boring to me. That's just yeah, how I, I watch I think, games. Sometimes. I think, I think it is fascinating. The most fascinating part about baseball to me is that you got a batter that's in the play, you know, in the batter's box, up at the plate, that has studied this pitcher that he's facing. He knows what pitches he throws. He knows what times he likes to throw them. He likes. He knows where he likes to throw him. But the pitcher also knows and has studied the batter. He knows exactly when he likes to swing. Knows what, you know, where when he sits on and off speed versus when he's swinging fastball every time. And to me it's like the fascinating part about baseball is breaking that mold of like now you're now you're trying to guess is he going to pitch the fastball because it's his best pitch or is he going to try to fool me on and off speed? And it's like it's a guessing game. And it's it's the guys that are good at hitting that are sitting on a fastball, get fooled by a curveball, but still are able to control their swing and, and dump a single the opposite way. Like that is fascinating to me. That you got it wrong, you guessed wrong, but you were still able to take advantage. Like that—that's cool. Like I've always told people, it's like there's another sport that's a one-on-one battle, and it's baseball, pitcher and batter. There's boxing that's one-on-one, obviously, but it's baseballs. You can consider it one of them too. It's a pitcher versus a batter. The defense is just there to, you know, to do their thing. But all in all, it starts with the guy who's on the mound and the guy who's at the plate. Well, like you said, the, the, the defense is there, but my one of my, the best adages in baseball is like nothing happens until the pitcher throws the ball. Like nothing happens until that. So like you said, like if you like pitchers, like the pitcher is controlling the game. And I, I don't mind the need to try to speed it up and make it more interesting. But when you start to kind of mess with – a pitcher's ability to like focus on, on what how what he's how he's going to execute. Like I, I just I hope that it doesn't kind of infringe too much. And I think that that's probably the conversation that guys have is how do you find the, the medium the happy balance. Yeah. So um, I I wanted to get into a more fun question, more of a curiosity for me. But mm-hmm. you said you were you you're the bad boy for the last year's wild card game against the Yankees. What was that feeling like? Like. As a fan, I want to know your fan feeling of when Judge got thrown out at home by Kike, or or Kike to Xander and then Xander to home. It was, I don't know if you've seen, because only a few guys in the clubhouse have the shirts. They're not very public, and I think it might only be the guys that took place that took part in that play. They have a shirt. They made up a shirt that says like the they called it the Boston Relay, and it shows like the 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 trajectory of the ball and where it went. And then it shows like Kike getting it and like throwing it into bogey and bogey relaying it. And it was the most perfectly executed. All right. So hold on. I'm, I'm answering it as a, as a, as a baseball analytical side, as a fan, 
it was like the most exciting play ever because <laughs> not only not only is it the Yankees, but this guy, it's Aaron Judge. And not only is it Aaron Judge, but the dude's massive. Like it's hard to throw like on a bang bang play. Like Aaron Judge is probably gonna slide in there ninety percent of the time because he's huge, right? Like you gotta beat this dude that's stretched out. When he's stretched out, he's freaking seven foot eight. Like that that takes a perfect play to get him out. And as a fan, it was the most exciting thing ever. But as like a baseball person, as like an employee for the Red Sox, it was like you can't help but appreciate like that. That is what on day twenty at spring training when you're working on relays in the ninety degree Fort Myers heat. That's why. Because you work, you work on relays. You work on like the simple shit in baseball. You're not working on swinging for the fences. You're working on relays because it's that bang bang play where the seven seven foot Aaron Judge is sliding in for the wild card, and you throw him out. Like that's why you practice that kind of stuff in spring training. And as a fan and as a fan of the sport, it was like it doesn't get any better than that kind of play. Like it doesn't. Because I I mean like obviously yeah you probably attest to it more. Like the crowd probably just went absolutely nuts oh, when oh, that play happened. Because for like you said for one. It's the Yankees. For for two, it's a wild card game, playoff game. For three, it's Aaron Judge. Like Aaron Judge, you can't yeah. get any more better. Like, by than the way, like, biggest biggest human being I've ever like really been next to, like been around. He is huge. Can't even imagine that it, that dude's huge. I know he might be on a Sox uniform next year. Who knows? Hey, what I hear, he's a great guy. He's he is nothing but the best like stand up act. And I hear this from like the business guys that obviously interact with him and. From what I understand, he is just a class act and exactly who you want to have on a team. So he's he's a special special talent, but it makes it all that much sweeter when we throw him out. Yeah. Uh, actually, well, now that you just mentioned that, I even just thought of a question. The visiting clubhouse, how is it? I don't know if you interact with those guys as often, but how is it for them over there? I mean, do they have a certain team? Not that they favor more, but like, do they have a team there that kind of that they look forward to coming into town. Yeah, I mean, I so we we work with them side by side in spring training. Like all of us, like the whole clubhouse, basically, home and visiting goes down to spring training, and we do a lot of overlapping work down there because it's not, you know, they don't spend as much time strictly, especially like so you think about spring training being half training and then half of like the exhibition games, but before the games start, obviously there's no visiting team, so but all the visiting clubbies are there, so we kind of work for a month to work directly side by side. Like we're basically one big unit um, because obviously spring training, you've got 70 people in the clubhouse. It's a lot bigger than just regular season roster. Like you've got all the invitees that are trying out for, you know, before we make cuts in five weeks, right? You play a whole, or you train a whole month before you, you dwindle that clubhouse down. So it takes like 10 or 12, 10, you know, eight to 10 guys to kind of run a clubhouse. That's like double the size basically. Um, so we interact a lot with them in that way, but, Obviously, during during the regular season, we see them almost every day, but um, there's not a whole lot of kind of cross, you know, working or contamination going on because, you know, they're doing what they need to do for their team. And they benefit when the visiting team does well and and, and is happy. And and so they do, obviously, like basically the flip side. They're there to make sure that the visiting team is can be successful. And I know that they love, like, I think Toronto's a big one they love coming in just because there's some – great personalities in there like Vladdy you know from what I understand great personality um like I already said the Yankees they actually do enjoy when the Yankees get there because again it's guys you've you've got the Yankees that have this kind of stigma amongst fans but in the grand scheme of things it's just another team of human beings of people like we've talked about that are just normal guys that are just wearing a different uniform that happens to be happens to cause a lot of animosity in the city but 
other than that, they're most of them are great guys. So they enjoy like having big personalities, good guys come in. That's 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 cool, man. And then um, yeah, I like I like that aspect because you get to meet a lot of cool guys like coming in like you know Trout and like Vladdy and Judge and guys that you know you don't normally get to like talk to, and you get a huge array of different major leaguers coming through. It's, it's got to be pretty cool. Cause that that's one thing that's especially here when um on the AAA side, like obviously I'm the home side, so I'm only around the certain same amount of guys for all throughout this year. But our visiting side, I mean, obviously as a AAA for other teams, but like there are guys that go through there from what I've heard for the past years. I remember Cody Bellinger had a rehab assignment with the OKC Dodgers was there um, and just meeting a whole bunch of different guys. And it, you can get lucky that, you know, like, I don't know, Sugarland, Houston's AAA affiliate could have a rehab assignment from Jordan Alvarez or Alex Bregman, and now they're there, and you get to meet them. Yeah, it's like the, the Scher- it's like the Scherzer thing I was talking about. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it it can get fun sometimes because I'm like, dang, like visiting side probably seems kind of fun because you meet everybody, and I couldn't even yeah. imagine on the big league side, like, like holy shit, my first season, working at at Fenway Park on the visiting side, and Angels are coming to town. Oh shit, it's Mike Trout, Joey. Well, you know, how about how about this year we had uh. This year we had the Cardinals come to Fenway Park for the first time in I think like seven years or something, and here here are the visiting guys like working with Albert Pujols on his farewell tour like that oh, that shit. like that is cool man like or Miggy you know Miguel Cabrera like these guys that are you know on their fair not only on their farewell tour but are Hall of Famers like that's that's cool. Um, outside of um outside of work, do you have any um hobbies that you like doing outside of work? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fisherman. Um, I love to fish. I love doing all types of fishing. I'm actually a big fly fisherman. When I was uh, like 10 or 11 or 12 or something, I I went to fly fishing school with my grandfather and my dad, and so I learned how to fly fish. Um, that's like my biggest um, I would say hobby. My biggest sport that is I guess also technically a hobby is skiing. I'm a big skier, which makes me excited about you know winters and. It's kind of the nice thing about um, at the at the current moment, getting a little bit of time off after the season ends is I love to ski. So then I get it's kind of like a reverse teacher schedule, right? Like teachers get summers off, I get winters off, and I get to ski, which is kind of like my biggest hobby. Um, but like my biggest my biggest hobby hobby would probably be music. I'm a big um, like EDM, like dance music, um, both kind of listening, but also DJing a little bit and kind of messing around a little bit with making my own songs and you know going to you know part you know not parties uh concerts and raves and stuff like that i'm, I'm a big music junkie so uh, that's definitely like my biggest hobby hobby i would say so um obviously this is not only a, a watching baseball podcast but this is a collecting baseball co- podcast i collect i have tons of baseball cards and memorabilia um is that something that you collected either as a kid or even now yeah, so I did. So I don't now, but I still have like a massive collection of baseball cards. I used to, when I was, I think the last time I did it was when I was like 16. And I remember being in high school and like one day it was like a Saturday and I was like, I know what project I'm going to embark on today. I'm going to gather up all my baseball cards I've ever collected and I'm going to go through every single one and figure out the value and figure how much I can make off of all my baseball cards. And I gave up after like, card number 1010 because i'm like this is just stupid <laughs> after cards are like worth 47 cents on ebay like you know you're not you're not finding diamonds in the rough all that often but i loved i loved to 
collect them and figure out how much they were worth. Um, but it's funny you asked that because I touched a little bit about guys that get to the park early. And I don't know if you follow um, Matt Strom that much, you know, our bullpen pitcher Matt Strom, but he is a massive, massive baseball card collector. Huge. Like if you, I'm pretty sure if you go on his social media, like he has a whole, I think he might even have a YouTube channel about it. Like does a bunch of different like um, unboxing um, like segments of like, he has like orders a box and, and he unboxes it on camera, does something. And so that kind of took over our clubhouse a little bit this year. It was like guys kind of caught on to that. And we had a big, big um, baseball and football card collection group this year where they would like excite, you know, they would excitingly rip open a package and find that one you know, card that's like two out of 50 in the entire world. And they would get all excited, and put it in a protective sleeve. And, you know, um, so I, I, I'm not into that at the moment, but I did as a kid, I used to, I used to like collecting them for sure. Organizing them based on team, like in a little binder, you know? Cause yeah, I, I still do that. I have tons of rookie cars. Obvi- I mainly, obviously I only pretty much mainly collect Sox players. So I have tons mm-hmm. of them. I have a bunch of Rafi rookies. I have Mookie Betts, um, Bowman autograph rookies, like all Make that Make sure you stuff. get your hands so on a uh, Brian uh, Bayo rookie Bayo card because when that kid's special, you're going to want that rookie card. That's the next one, man. I, I saw his debut game. I was excited for him. I thought he pitched well. Personally, I thought he pitched well. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited he for was him. One, he was one of the ones that got expedited. You know, he, he's one of those ones that for what he was asked to do, he excelled, I would say, right? Like he, he – he struggled in a lot of different ways, but I mean, the kid is so young, wasn't even really supposed to kind of be here for a full MLB season almost. And he was asked to do a lot basically. And I, he struggled, but like you said, I think he did really well in, in most aspects. He's going to be good. Be good. So um, I got um last two questions. One of them, we actually hit it was, I was going to wait for the end. Um, but as you're working here, where do you, plan to see yourself in the coming future or even in the coming years so i'm i'm down here in virginia right now because i'm visiting my grandparents and i haven't seen my grandparents in a little over a year i think and my grandfather was like so uh so that video was awesome so what so what's the deal what's your uh what's your dream what's your goal and i told him i said grampy i'm gonna tell you exactly what i tell other people because i get that question obviously a lot i mean it's 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 obviously a really cool job, but it's definitely not one that you would say like, this is my end. This is my end goal. Like, this is my dream. I want to be the bad boy for the rest of my life. Like, obviously that's not the case. Um, but the way I answer it is if you had asked me seven years ago when I was an usher, what I wanted to do, which people did ask, I not once did I mention working in the clubhouse or being the bat boy. It just so happened that I had kind of stuck around in my role and, and did a fairly good job that when the opportunity in the clubhouse came up and they were kind of looking for internal hires, I had already had four years as an usher under my belt. You know, again, had, had done fairly well and had, had gained a little bit of respect, I like to think. And, uh, and then that's when I slid in there. Now that I'm in the clubhouse and acting as the bat boy, people ask me the question, so what's next? And I kind of answered the same way of, Baseball, but kind of sports as a whole, is a tough industry because it's one that, you know, you're lucky to be in once you're in it. Like, I am incredibly fortunate, incredibly blessed to be part of the Boston Red Sox. And it's it's uh, easy for them to find a lot of people that would like that job. 
if, if you kind of catch my drift. And so my, my thought process is you don't kind of want to go up to the, go up to someone and say, or make a demand or say like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm looking to do. Instead, the way I see it is you kind of stick the way where you are and you see, you see it through for a few years and you build a reputation that people respect and you build some exposure with the right type of people and you make yourself known so that in four years, when this job opens up, your name is at the top of the list of, of one of the names that people think about. And the only thing I know is that I want to be involved like in the nitty gritty, like this kind of environment. Like I don't, I'm not a huge like computer person. I, I didn't take any math classes in, in college. I'm smart and I know math and I know statistics and analytics, but I like to apply that uh, more directly as opposed to like kind of doing the, the desk job type thing. I like utilizing the knowledge that I've kind of gained over my time in, like I said, in, in a clubhouse setting. And like I said, what it, what it boils down to is I took this job three years ago. I'll do it for the next four years. But if in two years something comes up and I'm qualified and I could, I could do it, then I would take that job as well. So for me, it's kind of a waiting game. And I really feel that way a lot in sports where you really have to kind of um, be content where you are for the time being and just kind of excel at what you do. Because if you excel at what you do, doors will open for you. And then, then you can figure out where you're going. Sweet, man. I mean, I mean, from that, I hope for the best of you for years later, man. I, and then Appreciate hopefully, that. if that. yeah, hopefully next year, if, uh, if I go to Fenway, man, you're working there, I'll spot I'll you. I'll be, be like, there. Hey, What's up, man? I, what's up? Here cheering <laughs> on. Hopefully, hopefully we're winning. If not, then hey, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a foul ball, ball from one of the uh, one of your one of your favorite, one of your favorite players. players. I'll get you a foul ball. Sweet, I'll let you. Man. I'll let you add that to the collection. <laughs> Sweet man. Uh, but one last question before we get you out of here. I don't want to take too much of your time here. Um, aside from a a hope, obviously for me too, a hope of a 2023 World Series win. What are, you, what are your hopes for 2023 for you and for the Boston Red Sox? My, my biggest hope for the 2023 Boston Red Sox, I think it may seem like an obvious answer, but right off the bat, I think of health. Um, because I firmly believe, I firmly believe that this year, if we had had a healthy team that was able to kind of sustain their their playing and their success. I'm not saying we would have won it all. I'm not even saying we would have made the playoffs, but it sure as hell would have been a different type of season. If guys like, and, and like I just said, Brian Bayo did an amazing job. Like guys that came up and filled in when they had to, like Jeter Downs was starting games. Like he wasn't, he wasn't really projected to be that guy this year. And so guys that, you know, Abraham Almonte, like obviously that was when the season kind of was already in the tank, but like guys that had to come up and step, but I really think with a healthy 2023, uh, I, I think that we could be in good shape. There's obviously those big question marks that are the extensions with, with Rafi and, and contract with, with Bogey and some of, we have so many free agents and so many question marks. Um, but I know high and bloom personally. And I know like, again, with the media and the fans in Boston, like he gets a lot of shit and, and that's just kind of part of the job. But he is a very smart person. He came from Tampa, for Christ's sakes, where he did that uh, that kind of money ball situation where they did a lot with, like, no payroll. 
And so he knows what he's doing. And um, it's, I, I just hope that, I hope that spring training starts on a positive note. I think, I think what we need to happen is like all these question marks about all the contracts and players and who's going to be here. Once all that is squashed, and I think you show up to spring training on day one, I think, you know, especially with Alex Cora, with, with the way that AC is and with the expectations that the Red Sox have, I really, with a healthy team, I trust Haim and I trust, you know, AC is second to none when it comes to managers. And I think with, with some health and some consistency, I think we'll be at least in the playoffs. I, I, would, I would find it hard to believe we won't be there next year. So, I mean, yeah, same for me. I hope, I honestly hope we are. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to get too in depth with it, with two particular players that should be getting signed this off season, but I hope yeah, you can tell, back. you can tell me what you think. You can tell me what you think. I don't necessarily have to say what I think. You can tell me what you think. I mean, I, I personally would love Xander back. I, not just from a, like, I'm a Red Sox fan. He's our guy. He's, he, sh- he should be our captain. I personally think he is the captain. You can probably attest to it most, but I feel like he's the guy in the clubhouse that that probably, like, I don't know, that just feels like he's 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 around everybody to see what how their day is doing or something along those lines. And, like, Rafi, he, he needs to, I, I think he needs to get signed. I, I mm-hmm. pain me to see both of those guys gone. Rafi still has one more year, but... I think you got to lock those guys down yesterday. I have to tell you, man, <laughs> I'm not envious. I am not envious of some of the decisions that these GMs have to make because I can tell you, um, and, and it's not even me telling you because he, he makes it he makes it public when, when he gets asked these questions. I'm talking about Haim or, or even Sam Kennedy or some of the you know other GMs or presidents, whatever, when they have to answer questions. They say, you know, we want Rafi here. We want Bogey here. And I'm not jealous of some of these people that have to make decisions regardless of feelings and and, you know, I obviously I, I'm not I'm not colluding in any way and telling you that I love Bogey as a person. Bogey's an amazing human being, an amazing player, an amazing captain, great clubhouse presence. You're right. You hit the nail on the head like people respect him. He respects other people. Um, but in the end of the day, you know, it's it's up to uh, the people that kind of do that for a living. And I'm not jealous of the people that have to make the decisions, but someone's got to. So, like I said, once all that is squashed, hopefully you kind of start with a clean slate and you look around you say this is what we got so let's let's work on what we did last year and let's do it so so i'm 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 hope man i hope i i feel good about 2023 but right now these next few months are going to be very especially for red sox fans it's going to be very crucial just oh man just things gotta tell you i heard i heard uh was it yesterday or the day before i got an update that uh they they had just um Offered something, some sort of qualifying offer to Nate, some multi-year deal to uh, to Nate of Aldi. Um, I think he has so until Tuesday. That, yeah, that would be. I mean, again, I talked about how not only good of a person Nate is, incredible human being, but he's been he's been solid. He's been a rock for our pitching rotation for the last four years or whatever it's been. I mean, he's been the reason that we've had success. So hopefully, hopefully, see him back. So uh, I hope so. I certainly hope so. But um, thank you. Colin for joining me on this episode, man. I truly appreciate it taking the time to come on and talk a little bit of what you do, a little bit of Red Sox and things like that, man. I truly appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, thank you for wishing me good luck, but I wish you good luck too, because, you know, I, I don't know what, what your kind of goal is, but uh, I hope that you find whatever you're, you're wanting to do and whether it's in baseball, in the clubhouse or whatever, just uh, keep doing what you do. It sounds like you're being, 
you're, you're doing what you love, and I guess that's all that matters. So keep that up. Base baseball is number one for me. Not, nothing is above yeah. baseball, honestly. But um, thank you again, Colin. Thank you all to um, who is listening. Thank you to uh, Believe Podcast Network. And if you are listening, if you're a new listener, um, appreciate it. If you are listening, leave a review. Leave anywhere you're listening on it. Truly appreciate it. It helps out a lot. Uh, stay watching. Stay collecting. And I will catch you guys on the next one.